here and we're looking at the day of the Lord, which reminds us that there's the reality that there's a day of judgment, but more importantly, that, that, that Jesus is coming. And, and what type of people ought we to be as we think about the coming of Jesus Christ? And when, when Peter was writing, he was, he was writing to, there were, there were people who were scoffing and mocking God, and there were a spiritual complacency, really saying that, hey, nothing is going to change, so why should I? Things are just going to go as they are. Life is just going to go as it is. Next year is going to be just like it the year before. And so if nothing's going to change, why should I change? And we begin to see that, that what happened was is that people began to be spiritually complacent and saying, I just don't need to, to, to feel that sense of urgency or need to really do anything more. And because of this, there's a, there's a timing issue. And the main question was, you know, what's taking God so long? Why isn't Jesus coming yet? And so Peter wrote in, in chapter three to answer this question. And I'd like you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter three, verse eight. For, I mean, sorry, 2 Peter chapter three, verse eight. 2 Peter chapter three, verse eight. Let's go ahead and let's stand in reverence to the word of God. And this is uh, Peter, he's writing to Christians who are waiting for Jesus to come. And in verse 8 he says, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow in fulfilling his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in, li- in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for, the hastening, uh, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of what the heavens will be set on fire, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. So in this passage, we're going to see what it means to live in light of the coming of Jesus Christ. Like what type of life, what is God calling us to be? And there's three aspects of this calling. First of all, we're going to see that we need to accept God's timing. And second, we're going to learn to, that we need to adopt God's values. And third, we need to advance God's kingdom. So the first thing we want to look at is accepting God's timing. Now, in many ways, this is actually the most difficult, right? It's really hard to wait. I mean, if you really think about, you know, what is the most common, like, stressor in your life? What causes you the most stress day to day? I bet a lot of times it's like waiting. It's like when things don't work out or things are not working the way we want and we just have to kind of wait for this and things are going late and things aren't working out. And I want you to watch this video. This, is, this kind of captures that frustration. So many, many of you probably have seen this, but it'd be good to, whoop, Sorry. I mean, if, if you're impatient, you'd be like watching this video going, oh my gosh, this is stressing me out. But actually, I mean, we get stressed out, right, when our computer takes more than 20 seconds to boot up, right? We're like, oh my gosh, 20 seconds to boot up, that's crazy. We get impatient when somebody else, when I'm waiting on somebody else so that I can get my job done. I'm waiting for them to finish their task so I can get my job done. We get impatient when we're driving, when we're driving on the freeway and we look at the person in front of us and go, 
my goodness, look at all the space in front of them. You know, and it's like, you know, it's like that's really going to make a difference that they drive, you know, bumper to bumper with the guy. And we're like, come on, just go a little faster. You got like five car links in front of you. And, and we go to a meeting that takes too long. We go to a class that's too boring. Uh, we got a person in front of us has 11 items at the express checkout, you know. And this is just daily stuff. You think about it, a lot of our stress, a lot of our frustration is, is that we don't like to wait. We're impatient. And then that's just the short-term issues. There's long-term issues, too. What about issues like health and healing, financial issues, career issues, family issues? For things to take months or even years to resolve, we feel like, that's, that's forever. How, how can I wait that long? See, we see time in relation to 24 hours a day, seven days a week, uh, 365 days a year, but, but God, God sees time in, in, in against eternity. See, that's, that's why uh, in, in this verse it says that, that, that God, for God, even uh, a thousand years is a very short time for him. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as is, is as one day. This comes actually from Psalm 90 verse four that says, um, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has gone by, like a watch in the night. And see, see it's telling us that God is patient. He is actually willing to wait, let even centuries go by in order to, to work out his good purposes. And, and so learning to accept God's timing reminds us that, that once in a while, it's a reminder to us when we're impatient and we're worried and we say, I need to be reminded of God's timing. I need to be reminded that um, the universe doesn't resolve, revolve around me. That's actually difficult to accept. That, that, that accepting God's timing sometimes means I need to slow down. Uh, I need to calm down. I need to remember that, that all the events of this world don't always work according to my timetable and the things that I want and the fact that I'm getting impatient. See, God may not want something to happen right away. He may not want something to even happen in our lifetime, even the things that he wants to happen. And so, so being mindful, uh, we mean to be mindful that, that God has been at his work since the beginning of time. Centuries before we were born, he has a plan that, that involved the creation of the world, it involves the, the rise and fall of kingdoms, the movements of epochs, uh, the change and transitions of, 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 of civilizations, and he does this to prepare the world for his great plan of renewal through Jesus Christ. Learning to accept God's timing that means that, that, that we, have a, we can live in a place of peace and freedom from anxiety. From, 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 angst, from frustration. See, it sounds kind of um, ironic or, or uh, doesn't seem to make it uh, fit that we say we live in light of the day of Christ, which means like it's very urgent, but at the same time, God's calling us to live an unhurried life. To, to take those times of quietness and not just rush and move. Well, one thing I noticed that I, that I do and a lot of people do now is... Um, when we, when we were waiting for somebody who's late or somewhere sitting around, what do we do? Phone, you know, or we're ordering something. I'm waiting for that order to come. I didn't call in the order, so I went actually to the restaurant and ordered for the takeout. And, you know, you're waiting there, and there's several people waiting there. What do you do? Phone. And so we're, like, 
answering email, watching whatever, doing stuff. And there's this constant sense of, I need to um, do everything I can with all the time that I have. If I have to wait, this is frustrating to me, so at least I can answer some emails and make my life a little easier when I get home or things like that. Um, but maybe we take these times and say, um, maybe I should pray. Uh, to me, that actually helps me not to get frustrated. Because sometimes, you know, it's like they say, um, if you are really like uh, very driven, when you go to meet somebody, you never go early. You, you go right on time because you don't want to waste time sitting there waiting for somebody to come. And so sometimes, you know, for me, I'm like, not that I'm, I'm not driven, so I'll get there early. And so I'll get there like, oh, I don't want to get, say, I'm worried I'm going to be late or I'm going to, you know, they've been there a little early, they're waiting for me. So I'll actually get there early, like maybe 15 minutes early sometimes. And I'll sit there for 15 minutes and sometimes I'll be like, mm, and then if they're, if they're late, you know, five minutes late, then it's 20 minutes. And I, I like, sometimes I'll get stressed, like I'm sitting here, I'm wasting time. But then what helps me not to get stressed is I'll say, oh, I should just pray. Gee, when do I get 20 minutes to just sit and pray? You know, with, with my hurried lifestyle, where it's hard for me to sit down and say, oh, 20 minutes to sit down and pray, and I got so much to do. Well, when I'm waiting for somebody, when I'm waiting for my order to come in, wow, God gives me 20 minutes. So rare to just sit down and pray and just talk to God and say, hey, God, not like get things done, but just say, hey, God, you know, yeah, it's been a hard day and we haven't been talking so much. And, and, and it really does, that praying in idle moments helps to, to lift some of the stress and worry and concern and, 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 and anger and frustration. And just rejoice in some of those moments where if that person came late, you go, oh, hey, praise God, I got extra 10 minutes to pray, you know, or the, law, the line was too long, you know, oh, I wasn't expecting the line to be so long, oh my goodness, this is going to take, you know, 10 more minutes than I thought it was going to take. Oh, good, I got 10 more minutes to pray then while I'm standing in line, you know. And so that really actually um, gives a sense of peace and, and, and a sense of, 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 of reducing some of that anger. One of the things when we think about uh, unhurried life, we need to ask God, you know, what, what are some of the things right now that, that I need to really surrender um, to God's timing? Uh, what are some of the things that, you know, I'm trying to really make happen right now not because it's God's will, but because it's my will, because I don't like waiting so much. And I have a hard time waiting, and I want this to happen right now. And, and, and so I'm having a hard time surrendering uh, to God's timing. And we can think about that and say, what, what are some things right now that I'm having a hard time surrendering to God's timing? You may be even here in the service going, I'm having a hard time surrendering to God's timing because I'm thinking about this week, all the things I have to do, and here I'm at church, and Pastor Aaron's sermon better be interesting because otherwise it's wasting my time. I could be doing other things. But you know, we sit there and say, well, what are those things that, that I'm so anxious about that I'm, I'm really not giving up to God and his timing? I'm just trying to force it. I'm just getting upset, and I'm getting stressed out. And what is God saying to me about, you know what? You just got to surrender. I'm going to take care of it. It's, if it's important, God says, I, I, I'm going to take care of it. But I'll take care of it in my timing. And, and we need to just surrender and, and slow down and, and really trust God. And this is a part of, you know, God, this is, here's the thing too. We will not become who God wants us to be, nor do what God wants us to do, if we cannot wait on God. 
Okay, if you're an impatient person, this is hard, but this is true. Okay, this is really true. We will not become who God wants us to be. We will not do what God wants us to do if we cannot wait on God. And, and that's really the first element of being ready for Jesus' return. It's not rushing forward and being anxious and trying to get as much done as we can. It's really learning to accept God's timing. Now, the second element of a holy life is to learn to adopt God's values. Now, um, waiting may be hard, but one thing that helps time pass is when we're doing things that matter, right? When we're doing things that matter, um, time goes by real fast. When we're doing things that waste time, you know, fruitless activity, we're like, man, this is so, this is taking forever. But when we're doing things that really matter, it's like, man, I don't have enough time. Time goes by so quickly. So as we anticipate Christ's coming, whether it's tomorrow, whether it's 20 years from now, whether it's you know, after our lifetime, uh, what should we be doing? How do we, say, how do we adopt God's values, be involved in the things that really matter? Well, when I think of someone's heart or values, we think about uh, passion. What is your passion? Uh, when we say, what is your passion? We say, what stirs you? at the core of your being. What makes you, in fact, one speaker told me, he said, what makes you angry? That's your passion. You know, what burns you inside? You know, if you see somebody being uh, abused or hurt or taken advantage of and you get angry, that means that that's your passion, is, is you have a lot of compassion for the helpless, for the hurting. When you see children who are neglected and, and who are wasting their time and nobody cares about them and nobody's paying attention to them and, and it makes you upset and you're like, why are the children sitting there and no one's taking care of them? That means you are passionate about children. You're passionate about the weak. And it, it, passion is what causes you to put down what you're doing and say, man, somebody has to do something about this. Somebody has to say something about this. That's a passion. That's your heart. And for a lot of us, that's kind of what's wired. It's wired in us. It's not something that you know, we create. It's just something that's in us. And so we say, well, can, um, can passion be created? Um, i would not sure if passion can be created, but passion can be nurtured, right? So uh, the, the, the propensities that are already inside us can be nurtured and grown. So we may ask this question, you know, can God's heart uh, be nurtured in our heart? You know, because God's heart, actually, we don't create God's heart. God's heart is actually in us. Okay, now that's what Ezekiel says. Um, Ezekiel says in, in thir Ezekiel 36, it says, and I will give you a new heart, a new spirit. I'll put within you, I'll remove that heart of stone from your flesh, which is the, our sinful heart, our heart before Jesus Christ, and I'm gonna give you a new heart of flesh. I'm gonna give you God's heart. I'm gonna put that passion in you already. See, spiritual transformation means that, that God replaces our old heart with his heart. And, and, and now we just need to discover that heart and nurture that heart. And we see that as we think about God's heart, what is God's heart? In verse, um, in verse nine, we see the first aspect of God's heart. It says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but patient towards you, not wishing that anyone should perish, but that all should reach repentance. We say, well, why does God seem to wait so long for Jesus to come? What's the ultimate reason why God has aligned the, the heavens and the earth? Why he, he moves all of history the way that he does? Uh, uh, what is he doing? It is because he's patient. He's wishing that not 
any person, not one person should perish, but everyone should reach repentance. That's God's passion. What is God spending all his time, efforts, and resources towards? It is so that not one person will perish, but everyone find repentance. Why has God placed me where I am, doing the things that I am doing right now, whether I like them or not? It is because God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should find repentance. Why is God allowing me to experience, we say, why is God allowing me to experience the painful struggles that I'm experiencing right now, that I can't get out of, that sometimes I feel a little trapped? Why is God doing this to me? The answer is because God is not willing that even one person should perish, but everyone, every single person will find repentance uh, in an eternal life. If every time we ask the question, why is this happening, God? If we answered the question, it is because God is not willing that anyone should perish, that God is working to save every single person that he can on earth. If we learn to adopt this in our hearts, what does that mean? It means our heart is drawn close to the heart of God right? It means that our outlook is becoming more like the outlook of God. It means that our values are drawing closer to the things that God values. You know, my own, pers- my own personal spiritual journey, I can remember pivotal moments where God drew my heart towards his heart. And, you know, even as a very young Christian, I remember in college, um, I would be hanging out at the undergraduate library. I was at Berkeley, and, and it just kind of a background. At Berkeley, there's these two places that Asians hang out. There's Sproul Plaza, that's where all the cool Asians hung out. And then there was the undergraduate library, that's where all the nerdy Asians hung out. So if you, if you hung out with all the cool Asians, you know, they're all sitting there on Sproul Plaza, and, you know, if you meet them, say, hey, how's it going? And they do all this stuff. And they're wearing, back then it was their black derby jackets and you're all cool. And then I was the nerds. We were all in the, the undergrad library. That's where all the church people hung out. And so I would meet all the different people from church there, my church and other churches and things like that. And so I'm there sitting there at, at, uh, at the undergraduate library and, and my friend Ben comes by and he says, hey, Harrison, I just was reading Acts chapter two and I just got so excited. I was reading it, it said, 3,000 people accepted Jesus as savior from one sermon. And he was like so excited. And I was like, you know, I was like, okay. You know, I was a young Christian. I didn't know what that meant. But he, he was so excited. I could tell by his face, by the tone of his voice, just by reading this passage. And, and I was looking that, at that and I was thinking, man, this is not just um, religious talk. This is not like he's trying to impress me. This was genuine, heartfelt emotion at the excitement of people receiving Jesus as Savior. And I remember that time sitting there thinking, man, you know, I wish I had that excitement. I mean, I don't have it right now, but God, I, I wish that that I had that excitement in my life. And I think that was kind of the beginning of really saying, God, I see it, I see what it is, and I wish that I had it. I mean, I want it, you know, that's something I want. I remember doing a Bible study in the youth group, just leading like the uh, junior hires, and I'm just talking about, you know, we're just going through some passage, and I start talking about hell and salvation, and, and the boy next to me, he literally in the middle of the, of, I'm just talking, he grabs my arm like this, and he looks at me, he says, I don't wanna go to hell. I want to go to heaven. I want to receive Jesus as Savior. And I'm like, 
you know, and it's, you know, it's a Bible study, right? And this little kid's just hanging onto my arm like this. And I said, okay, we'll just stop and let's pray. And I shared the gospel with him and we all prayed and he received Jesus as Savior. And I remember that so vividly in my mind, um, just the desperation of this child. He's just, he's like kid growing up in church. He's like just anyone like in living hope, like we would think, just leading a regular Bible study at someone's house. And, you know, you don't think anything of it. Like, you know, whatever. He was a new kid coming in and uh, just visiting and he just like, Desperately, I've never seen so one, someone so desperate to receive Jesus Christ as Savior like that. Just literally physically grabbing my arm and saying, I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. And sitting there with the whole group of young people and just praying for this one young man uh, to receive Jesus as Savior. And I remember, I will always remember that as, as, again, another pivotal point that really struck me to say that this is what... This is God's heart. I mean, another thing that I remember, going overseas, a mission trip to Haiti, and we were in 100-degree weather, humidity off the charts, and 15 of us were, were huddled on this wooden bench that was only like this big, and we sat there for two hours, and you could smell the garbage, you could smell the human waste, you could hear uh, the goats and chickens and everything like that, but for two hours... These people were like worshiping God. And when they sang, I didn't even understand what they were singing. They were singing glory to the Lamb, but they were singing it in Haitian. And I could just hear just this, 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 this roar of glory to the Lamb. And these people live in poverty. And they're, they're in the, 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 uh, the, the, the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. And gathering with a thousand of them together in this, in this you know, it's not even a church. It was like a... It used to be a church. It looked like it was a bombed out church. We're all sitting there and they are worshiping the Lord and singing out with all their hearts like glory to the Lamb. Even the goats were, were really loud and things. That it, just, it was just like, like God was being praised. And I just remember sitting there thinking, this is, this is God's heart. I can still remember that feel. I could still smell the smells. I could still feel the sweat. And, and, and the, our bodies just crush together for two hours and, and, and feel that sense of God's glory when people come to receive Jesus as Savior. See, these things, you cannot force God's heart. You cannot say, I'm going to force God's heart to be in my heart. But you can put yourself in places where God begins to change yours. I really think that that's it. It's not just the sense of that I'm going to transform myself. I'm going to make myself like do these things and do these things. What do I need to do? This, 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 and this. That's not the way it works. God works on his timing. God brings his passion in the way that he chooses to bring his passion. In the key events that he brings into your life. That all we can do is continue to put ourselves in these places where God begins to change our lives and bring us to God's heart. Whether it's, you know, reading God's word, being faithful to read God's word, that you never know when God's going to hit you with something about his truth. Fellowshipping with God's people, you never know when God's going to suddenly grab your heart about something. Serving in God's kingdom, taking those steps, stretching our faith, putting ourselves in places where God can now begin begin to nurture and transform our heart. And God will give you that heart for the lost. You don't have to fake it. You don't have to force it. It happens when God wants it to happen. When we put ourselves in those places, 
you know, where God is at work. That God says, I don't, I don't, I don't want anyone to perish, but everyone come to repentance. The second thing about God's passion are that the things, first of all, the souls of men are eternal. The second thing, things of the world are fleeting. Verse 10 says, but the day of the Lord, a day of the Lord will come like a thief and, and, and the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved in the earth and, and the works will be done and will be exposed. And since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord because the heavens will be set on fire, dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. And, 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 and Jesus, uh, when Jesus comes back, Peter says that, that like, he says that, that the heavenly bodies we burned up and dissolved the earth and its works uh, will be utterly exposed meaning you'll look for the earth and its works and you won't be able to find it you'll be saying where are all the earth and, and, and all the things that, that have been on earth you know you won't be able to find it and you know last week you know Wayne was uh, our speaker and he's showing us all these tall buildings in China and I was like really excited because I, I knew some of these buildings and, and how they were being built and so they were talking about he's talking about these buildings and first there's this building and then you know Shanghai's going to go to this building and then this other now this buildings higher and you know you know for us we may think well what's the big deal you know you just build you know add another little antenna and make it 10 feet higher you know three feet higher it's a taller building but no there's a lot of stuff that goes into building a tall building because to build a taller building the tallest building means that that is reflecting the height of technology materials design and structure of that time and so if you're going to build a building higher than that, you have to develop new technology, new material science, new types of structural design in order to get that building higher and higher, to build that building more and more. So each of these buildings, as they go higher, are in a sense, there are monuments to the ability and ingenuity of mankind. They reflect how far we have come because we can build this high without falling. And year after year, we keep building higher. We say, well, there's no limit. Our technology, our ability is just going to go higher and higher, you know, uh, until we build to the heavens. That's what, uh, you know, Wayne was saying. It's like, like Bab Babylon, Babel. But Jesus said, but Peter says, when Jesus comes to earth, all of its works will be exposed. All these tall buildings will be swept away in an instant. We say, well, that's a waste. No, but, but here's the thing. See, our world is so messed up that it kind of messes with our minds. It messes with our perception of value and worth. See, we no longer understand what's really valuable, and our perception of, of wealth becomes distorted, or worth becomes distorted. I'll give you an example, like housing prices in the Bay Area, you know, what people are willing to spend for what they're going to get. Here's a house in San Francisco that is going for $1 million 1.6 million dollars. Now, that's not the house next to it. That's this building right here, this structure, okay, which is about the size of a garage, and it basically looks like a garage. 1.6 million dollars, okay? Somebody's willing to pay for that. Uh, here's a house in Palo Alto. 1.5 million dollars for this house. It's abandoned right now, unlivable, no electricity, nothing. 1.5 million dollars. Here's Sunnyvale, million dollars. Okay, this doesn't surprise us. We don't go, oh, we go, oh, I'm going to buy that right now. You know, I'm going to go find that one on the webpage. I'm going to buy that. <laughs> and because our, you know, because we're so, we think, oh, that's so worth it. Here's a house in San Jose. I even got the price on there. It's, uh, this one is uh, estimated, this is going for 800, it was last sold for $800,000. They're asking prices for a million dollars for this. 
okay, for this building. Now, okay, are you looking it up? Yeah. <laughs> now, let me ask you, when a person buys this building, you know, they say, oh, I got a good deal. One million dollars. So they're going to look at this house and they're going to say, well, you know, this house has a lot of potential. You know, I'm going to do is I'm going to, I like the existing layout. I like what they've done here. What I'm going to do is maybe I'm going to change some of the interior walls, you know, cut them down and move an extension out here. And, you know, the vinyl floor is a little bit rusty, so I'm going to take the vinyl floor and I'm going to put some hardwood in there and uh, maybe modernize the exterior a little bit. I'm going to add some stucco and maybe a fresh coat of paint and, and you know, and it's going to be a great house. They're like, no way. What are they going to do? What do you think when somebody buys this house, what are they going to do? They're going to rip the whole thing down. They're not going to say, I love this house. I, I'm going to save this house. I'm going to put more into this house because it's so beautiful. They're going to say, I'm going to tear this house down. I'm going to burn it to the ground. I'm going to demolish everything so it doesn't smell anymore. And I'm going to build a completely new house. No vestige, uh, no vestiges of the old house is going to remain. It's going to be completely forgotten. I'm not going to save any piece of this old house. I'm going to rebuild a completely new one. God is saying to us that we live in such a messed up world that we no longer know what beautiful is. That we look at this world and we say, oh, the stuff that I have in this world, the house that I have in this world, the, the job and the things that I am contributing to in this world, it's, it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful. I need to make sure that I, I keep building on this thing and make it so great because someday when I go to heaven and eternity, I could bring this with me. I'm gonna take all the good things that I've done in this world and all the good things that I've collected in this world and I'm gonna take this house and I'm gonna bring it to heaven and I'm gonna put it in heaven and I'm gonna live there because this is so, this is the best thing that I can ever think of to live in. And God says, oh my gosh, my poor child. You have no idea what heaven is like. When you see heaven, it's gonna blow your mind. You, you, you've forgotten what beauty is. In fact, when you see heaven, you're going to be wondering, what did I see? What was I thinking? All this worldly stuff. What was it about this world that attracted me so much that I spent so many years of my life working to gain these things, working to beautify this piece of junk, We're spending all my hard-earned money, all my hopes, and all my years so that I can bring this piece of junk to heaven. And we'll say, God, what was I thinking? See, part of the reason why we have so much trouble developing God's heart for the lost it is that our attention is so much on the things of this world. Our worries, our dreams, all of our waking hours are invested in those things that are destined for burning. So the next time you see a new house and drive by it and say, you know, I think we need to upgrade, look at this house. Say, that's what this really is. Next time you see, oh, the new 2019 models are coming out right now. It's time to get a new car. No. That's what this is. Oh, the new 4K TV is coming out. I want to get that. 
65 inch, not big enough, 75 inch. Now they're making 80 inch. Oh, you know, it's, that's this. How much of my life is focused on developing and investing in things that I'm just going to end up tearing down and burning up and never even looking back? See, so we talked about our calling. Accept God's timing. Adopt God's values. The final thing is advance God's kingdom. Verse 11 says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. Now, this is a very interesting verse, um, and it has some very controversial theological ideas in it, because you've got this phrase here, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, the coming of Jesus. So I can understand waiting for, because God in his sovereignty has determined when Jesus is going to come. So I'm waiting for that day. But it also says, and hastening the coming of that day. What that word means, means and speeding up, speeding up the coming of that day. Now here's where it gets kind of, you know, a little hairy thinking about, oh, can I speed up Jesus' coming? I mean, God already uh, determined when Jesus is coming, and what can I do? I don't want to think too highly of myself that the things that I do are going to hasten, you know, make Jesus come back. And, and we're wondering, oh, do, you know, do I wait? Do I hasten? Do, I, do the things that I do matter in terms of when God is going to come back, when Jesus is going to come back? And what this is saying is that, yes, God is sovereign. There's nothing that we do that actually can uh, affect, you know, make God say, I can't do what I'm going to do because people aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, God is sovereign. He's going to do his will. He's going to do it according to his timing. But yet at the same way, God has designed and purposed it in his sovereignty to say that we ourselves have a part in it. How's that work? I have no idea. When I was uh, in seminary, I took a class on prayer. Was, and I, I remember walking up at the end of class to my professor about prayer, and I said, you know, the question, uh, does prayer make a difference? I asked my professor, I said, hey, when we pray, do we bring about things that normally would not have happened if we pray? And he said, yes, I believe so. And I go, okay, well then, um, do we then have the power to actually change God's will? And he said, no, you do not. And I said, well, wait, how does that work then? And he goes, I don't know. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, but somehow it works because God asks us to pray. In the same way, if God says, live a holy life in this world, do these things, live according to my timing, live according to my heart, uh, uh, forsake the things of this world, and God says that this is going to make a difference, God would not ask us to do something if it doesn't make a difference. How does it work? I have no idea. But God calls us to say the things that we do right now. Hasten the day of Jesus coming. You cannot wait and sit and say, 
We have no part. God's going to do whatever he wants to do. Uh, I'll just sit back and do whatever. No, God says, you have a part. I have a part. All of us must do our part to see the coming of Jesus as we continue to pray and continue to seek him. That really our calling, accept God's timing, accept God's value so that we might advance the kingdom of God. And so as we close, let's spend some time in prayer. Let's really ask God to say, God, what are some of those things in regards to your timing right now that I'm getting really messed up about your timing? And, 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 and I need to just slow down and, and let you speak to me about what my part is in this great and glorious kingdom of God. If you're here saying, God, I really want your heart of evangelism and, and want your heart for the lost, but it's so hard for me. It's so hard for me right now pray and ask God, God, where do you want me to place myself so that you can begin to build this heart in my life? If there are things right now in our lives that are garbage, destined for burning, but yet they hold so much treasure in our hearts right now, they are actually affecting our lives right now and our work for the kingdom then we come and we surrender that to God right now. Let's just go ahead and just spend some time in quiet prayer. Ask God, what are those things right now? How is God speaking to you? If you want to pray with someone next to you, you know, pray together. Let's really ask God, 